0: Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on Pineapple Express. Joining me is Tanner Colby. Hi, Tanner.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: How should I identify you? You are a comedy writer. You're the author of the recent Chris Uh, Farley show. The recent biography
1: of the Chris Farley show.
0: And yes, and we saw Pineapple Express together two nights ago. I'm Because I'm losing my voice a little bit and hoping that it sounds beguiling and, and husky, but I'm afraid it won't last, I'm going to throw it over to you for the plot summary.
1: A little I'll bit convoluted for this movie. A but. little bit convoluted. It is a action-stoner comedy produced by Judd Apatow and starring Seth Rogen and James Franco and directed, strangely enough, by David Gordon Green, who's known for thoughtful, pensive indie dramas like... Uh, snow angels and all the pretty girls all the real girls all the real girls yes well (laughs) they were were pretty too they were pretty too well zoe deschanel so that made me think you know pretty girls anyway uh, basic plot of the movie is that seth rogan who has just picked up some really sick weed from his dealer james franco uh, called pineapple express is the name of the bud while he's uh trying to serve a process serve a subpoena to this drug lord he witnesses a murder and um, the drugs, the weed that he leaves at the scene, allows the uh, bad guys to trace him back to his dealer, and they set out on the lamb. And what makes this sort of unique uh, in, and new in the in the realm of stoner comedies is that the heart of it is less just about the wacky antics of getting high, but more about this relationship between the user and the dealer, which is fertile ground, I think, for comedy. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, in terms of you know what, what place this occupies in the annals of stoner comedy, and we can get to that and some of the precedents in a minute, but I, I found that that little bit of anxiety introduced by the fact that these buddies are not really buddies at the beginning, nor are they enemies in the sort of classic cop tradition, right, of the two partners who can't stand each other but come to right. love each other. Rather, they're a drug dealer and his client, which is this sort of faux friendship relationship.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a transactional relationship that you make friendly just out of social necessity, but you really don't necessarily care for this other person.
0: And there's a wonderful scene before the action plot even kicks in at the beginning, a very, I mean, sort of narratively static but very funny scene in which Rogan is sort of trapped in James Franco's apartment. He comes to get his his bud. He gets the Pineapple Express. And then because... James Franco's character, Saul, this drug dealer, is kind of needy and lonely. He basically ropes the guy into staying much longer than he wants to stay. And they get stoned together and sort of talk about nothing. And the whole time Rogan's sort of trying to leave but also sort of starting to be be charmed a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think that relationship, the bromance, uh, which is the new term that's been coined in Hollywood uh, of uh, romance between two men in a platonic, buddy sort of way do you know the
0: origin of the term bromance I, I don't know the You're suddenly origin. hearing it everywhere
1: I don't know the origin of the term bromance but it's one of those words like like manscaping that just sort of <laughs> on.
0: So, yeah, the, the the bromance element is not necessarily new to the stoner comedy, but the, the extent to which it really is the center of the movie, at least for the first half, is, I think, somewhat unusual.
1: And the extent to which they stop and, and are somewhat sentimental about it. I mean, they they kind of ground it in reality.
0: Oh, do you want to talk about the Butch Cassidy moment that we both love so much? Well,
1: yeah, there's, there's a moment after they're on the lam, the two of them are uh, in the woods and they're trying to hitchhike out to get a ride because they've slept for the night in his car and killed the battery. And they're both just high as kites. And they have this sort of musical montage scene and it reminded me a lot of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid where Paul Newman and Catherine Ross are riding, riding around a on a bicycle the together and it's just this fun little montage they're like playing leapfrog and doing all these little games together and it's very sweet
0: and blowing pot smoke onto a caterpillar yeah strange almost Alice in Wonderland sort of reference yeah
1: they're trying to get like you would you know get your cat high or get your dog high they're trying to like get a caterpillar high which is just absurd but it's just a really fun sweet tender moment and that was to me exemplified the best of what the movie offered in terms of taking an outrageous stoner action shoot-em-up comedy and and making these people real
0: you were going to say talk about where, where you think it falls in the, in the great ranks of, of stoner comedies
1: well I, I'm not necessarily a stoner comedy expert I would definitely say that the Big Lebowski sort of stands unmatched in its, its being, you know, sort of the Citizen Kane of stoner comedies. That movie just took, you know, with the dude and, and, and Walter and uh, the adventure they go on, that movie just exists on a whole other level. And I actually didn't care for it the first time I saw it, but it's one of those movies every time you see it, and I've seen it maybe 20 times now, you just realize how brilliant it is. Uh, so this one certainly doesn't dethrone that, but it definitely... I think offers more or is sort of an evolution of the genre from from Cheech and Chong and and Half-Baked and uh, movies that are funny if you're stoned and the people who are making them are stoned and therefore they think that the pot humor in them is really, really funny. In this one, I think it's a stoner comedy where the humor doesn't necessarily derive from the fact of being high.
0: Well, Apatow has said in interviews that, you know, a long time ago before this movie was ever really conceived or written, he just sort of thought, what would it be like in an action movie if the action heroes were stoned the whole time? That that was sort of the base gag that the whole thing grew out of.
1: Right, and I think it's really smart because most action movies and chase movies rely on a series of really sort of stupid and illogical and incoherent mistakes on the part of the protagonist and here all of those mistakes make sense because these guys are stoned out of their minds.
0: Right, the problem for me is that unfortunately I just didn't think the movie was tightly scripted and the action was sort of woven coherently enough with the, the bromance and the stoner plot that, that we really see why they're making all those mistakes. I mean, it certainly is, is motivated by the fact that, you know, they are these dumb fuck-ups who are high all the time. Right. But you don't sort of see how step-by-step step they get themselves into this total mess. I want to go back and talk about the performances at the end, but let's talk about the mess they do get themselves into because, I mean, if part one of this movie, which to me is the charming part and the part that works, is, you know, right. the romantic bromance of the two sort of sweet-souled stoners, part two is this almost Tarantino-esque Really over the top, action, um, gory, and violent action movie, right?
1: And I, I think the whole point of a stoner comedy is that the plot isn't supposed to matter, and the plot doesn't really matter here, and yet they've completely over plotted it. Uh, you've got uh, two sets of
0: villains. For you've one got thing,
1: two sets of villains. Uh, you've got the bad guys, Gary Cole and Rosie Perez, who were involved in the murder in the beginning. They're at war with a Chinese drug gang, and you've got at Korean, least Korean, actually Korean. Sure, you've got like, at least a dozen Korean. Bad guys of various stripes who are after the other drug gang and then you Who got... are
0: all just sort of undifferentiated, you know, total yellow peril stereotypes from right, some right. Stocky movie.
1: Yeah, they they they're not developed at all. Then you have uh, Rogan's girlfriend and her parents in this whole subplot that's just sort of dropped halfway through the movie. Oh and... yeah, we
0: forgot to mention that that Seth Rogan is going out with a girl who's still in high school, even though his character is supposed to be twenty six. That's a little bit of a creepy element in the movie.
1: Yeah, I think that was I chalked that up as a misfire. It's supposed to like represent the fact that Rogan's character is a loser that he's dating a, a, a girl who's still in high school, but it comes off more as just sort of incongruous and creepy. I think
0: the girl is also dropped from the movie. I mean, as long as we're spoiling, the girl disappears from the movie in this completely non-committal way. It's it's a very odd end to that story. Obviously, this movie is not really interested in any story Realism. involving women, but
1: right. You know, women women are pretty irrelevant. And I gotta say, looking back on my high school years. All the girls that I knew from high school who were dating the skeezy 25-year-old guy, they didn't look like her. (laughs) She was like standard Hollywood blonde, attractive. And most of the girls that I know who went down that road in high school, they were attractive but in sort of like the, the slutty... Trashy kind of way.
0: Yeah, you need to know what's going to motivate a high school girl to go out with a sort of schlubby, unambitious, yeah, process Rogen. server yeah. who's stoned all day long.
1: Yeah, and she should have been much more. I can't think of an actress off the top of my head that I would insult by tarring with that brush, but she needed to be a little more trashy. I, I think skis it up. Yeah, then it would have been that. That would have been re- keeping it realistic because James Franco's character was brilliant and Danny McBride, who played one of the other drug dealers, a guy named Red, who uh, sort of just moves the plot along. Those were both brilliantly trashy guys, I think. And uh, the girlfriend in that regard was just thoroughly underdeveloped.
0: I mean, I would make the more general observation that Apatow's movies tend to do exactly that, to have really carefully differentiated comic types among the men. Knocked Up, I think, had the same thing, and a somewhat generic vision of women, even when he's trying to tell the women's stories as he does and knocked up more than here. Yeah. So did you think we may disagree on this when we talk, but talking about stuff that doesn't work, did you find the violence of the final climactic very long and and confusing action sequence as disproportionate to the tone of the movie as I did? I just I felt kinda of grossed out by the fact that suddenly we were kind of watching guts flying everywhere.
1: Yeah. It was to Not me, that I
0: mind guts for Guts sake, but it just didn't go with the movie.
1: To me the volume of it and the protracted nature of of the battle scene, there's like Five different climaxes in the battle scene. To me, that was more of a problem than than the goriness. If you just had a very, very small, circumscribed, circumscribed amount of gore, uh, I think that might have worked better.
0: That just there was a weird combination of you know an Apatovian desire to sort of be warm and sweet and let everybody be a real character, which is something that is really nice about his comedies, right? Um, even the sort of side characters always get their say, and there's a there's a great little small part here of a of a thug, one of the sort of uh, henchmen for for Gary Cole, who's played by Craig Robinson, who also you pointed out played a similar role as a, the bouncer in, in Knocked Up.
1: Right. A guy who's sort guy of on sweet. the
0: sidelines and who initially comes off as sort of a bad guy, right? And and then who gets his say and is actually sort of a sweet-souled person whose feelings are very easily hurt. So so this guy who the movie spent, you know, a fair amount of time, I mean, every one of his his, his scenes, he gets at least a couple lines that make us like him meets this ignominious end where right. he's he's bashed to death by the Daiwo car belonging to Danny McBride
1: yeah that was that was that was incongruous. we didn't and want there's to...
0: a kind of horrible shot of him that's supposed to be comic that I found really sad where he's all mushed under the car
1: right and they, they shoot his foot off.
0: Oh, that's right. And then, just randomly, after he's dead, in a in a scene of just just almost like Michael Madsen from 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 Reservoir Dogs, kind of pure sadism, half of his foot is shot off by one of our three leads that we're supposed to care about.
1: Yeah, he was too too. He should have been the bad guy who maybe comes around in the end because he he was a totally sympathetic character and you liked him. Whereas Rosie Perez and Gary Cole, the two main bad, obviously they're meant to. Get their comeuppance,
0: right. right? We see them kill someone in cold blood, and they're sort of more more typical villains. But right. still, I mean, even for them, I just felt like there was the body count is really high by the end of it this is. movie.
1: It is, and that was they they sort of got away from I think the fun, really almost sweet and and earnest tone at the beginning of this relationship with with Rogan and, and Franco, and then right after the crazy shoot 'em up where we've just watched 30 people get their heads blown off and get mowed down by cars, we go to a diner, and we go right back to the touching bromance. And it's it's a little jarring. It feels a little tacked on, but at least we're glad that they got back to what was good about the movie to, to finish it out. Yeah, and I
0: mean, you know, so that we can kind of finish it out on what's good about the movie. I mean, I think we would both... Walk out saying, yes, I'd recommend this movie to friends, right?
1: I would recommend this movie to friends. And also, just given where we are this summer, so far the big comedies this summer have been Love Guru and Get Smart, neither of which really Yeah, Given that
0: Love Guru is the only other movie we had seen together up until the point that we saw this one, I would say there was at least a 500% increase in quality just right there.
1: Yeah, but just if you're looking for a comedy this summer this one suffices, certainly. Yeah,
0: and even that loose, sloppy structure of the action plot not really making sense, it can all sort of be forgiven. It's all sort of part of the the, the the stoner fun to be had. This is not the kind of movie that needs to be super, super tight. Exactly. All right, well, thanks a lot for seeing the movie with me, Tanner, and uh, thanks for coming in for this Slate Spoiler Special. All right. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club!